What's up, nerds? Welcome back to the Drift Space. I'm Dave, your host for today. I'm G, not your host for today. I'm JR, just filling in. And I'm Rebecca. Well, you know. Kill not ready to steal the story. <laughs> 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 I'm Rebecca, I'm ready to hijack. <laughs> Accurate. I like how like it started off with a joke, but it's become a thing. She does steal the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Of course you don't. I really don't. I'm not doing anything. I'm just speaking my mind. Jeez. Uh, well, I'm very grateful to you, Rebecca, for letting me pilot the ship today. That was very charitable of you. I feel like, you know, a make-a-wish kid. <laughs> uh, speaking of make-a-wish, um, <laughs> yes. is that going somewhere? Was it, whoa, yeah. wait, the, the car just whoa, stopped. Whoa, whoa. Did like, you have a joke for that? The, the, the movie we're talking about, I mean, that's... Oh, God. Be very clear. Wow. <laughs> Be very clear on what you're talking about when you're like, speaking of Make-A-Wish, and we're like, what is happening? Rebecca, Evil Knievel <laughs> couldn't have made that jump. No, no, I thought it was actually very clever. I was I was very impressed with that. That was pretty good, Rebecca. I just needed I, I needed more context. But that needed, I, 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 I explained. <laughs> I like your joke there, Jr. Evil can evil can make that jump. That was that was good. <laughs> I, I want to throw a little validation your way. Thank you, sir. So every now and then, a movie comes along that just resonates with you on a fundamental level. You know, something that speaks to you in such a profound way where you can really see yourself in one or several characters. For me, the 2009 film Fanboys is certainly one of those movies. Before we dive into this, real quick note on those that worked on this behind the scenes. Director Kyle Newman, who you may recognize as the talent behind the Taylor Swift music video style. Pinning the script were Adam Goldberg and Ernest Klein. Goldberg has a writing credit on the Goldbergs, which is apparently good, but I've never seen it. But more notably for me, has a number of producing credits, not the least of which is one of my favorites, Community. And JR, you should recognize Ernest Klein as he also wrote the screenplay to one of your favorites, Ready Player One. He wrote the book. Exactly. Yeah, he didn't write the screenplay. He wrote the book. He did the screenplay as well. Oh, I know. Along with Simon Peck. But we're getting off track here. At any rate, um, so Fanboys is a film set in the year leading up. Sorry, let me try that again. This is a film set in the magical year leading up to the 1999 masterpiece, Shut All of Your Faces, The Phantom Menace. Surrounding (laughs) this group. (laughs) Insert laughing here. So this surrounds this group of Star Wars superfan friends, two of which have been estranged for a while. And let me just say that I love this cast. Dan Fogler is hysterical. Chris Marquette plays a great moody character. Jay Baruchel does what Jay Baruchel does best. And just when Kristen Bell couldn't get any more awesome, they made her a nerd. 
To add to the complexity, though, one of them has been diagnosed with a terminal illness, Chris Marquette's character, Linus. Do you guys smell what I smell? One last ride. And they <laughs> spared no expense here and go huge. They executed on this pot they made when they were kids to road trip across the country and break into Skywalker Ranch just so they can see the, once again, 1999 masterpiece, The Phantom Menace. And along the way, there are copious, amazing cameos, which just bring so many smiles to every nerd's heart. And that's a, that's a really good transition into my point here, that this is a movie that does manage to have a lot of heart, even though it's just about a bunch of nerds trying to go see a Star Wars movie. <laughs> um you know, it really illustrates that the core of who you are never really changes, no matter how much you uh, try to grow up. So with that, guys, girl, Rebecca, <laughs> what is your brothers and the Warner sister? <laughs> <laughs> how do we feel about fanboys? Because I feel like you know, I, I, I'm obviously a huge super fan of of Star Wars, but I feel like that this is a movie that tr sort of transcends the franchise and it is really applicable to general nerddom about things that you're passionate about, about adulting and getting older and reconnecting with friends, things like that. So what did you guys think of this? I think I think the thing about this movie that really stands out is for me personally is that you could replace these these characters and their love for a franchise with anything, right? We, we chose Star Wars here because Star Wars is is the one of the highest uh, peaks of uh, pop culture science fiction, and this movie was clearly made by people who love Star Wars, but. You, you, you'd get the same feeling if, ironically, they were Star Trek fans, or in my case, Godzilla fans, or in Rebecca's uh, case, Transformers fans, or in JR's case, Marvel fans. I think what, what really makes the movie isn't so much the topic that they're obsessed with or passionate about, it's the fact that they are obsessed with and passionate about it, and that brings them together to do this crazy thing. The movie's been criticized for having a little too much empathy for the characters and their passion for Star Wars. And a lot of critics will sit back and say, well, if you don't get Star Wars, you'll miss, you know, you'll miss a few of the in-jokes and stuff like that. And then they, you know, they completely pan it as just a, a run-of-the-mill road trip movie. And while I, I do think it's a road trip movie that doesn't, necessarily do anything new with the formula i think what makes the film is the nuance about how our passion can bring us together you know i mean it, to, to me i identify with that you know i know plenty of people would sit out there oh you're dying of cancer and you your last wish is to go see a movie well yeah no that makes complete sense to me um it, it's not just about seeing the movie it's about you know enjoying it with people coming to it and and embracing the the passion it's given you for it and what it's done for your life and what it's brought into your life and the people it's brought into your life. So I, I really identify with that aspect of it. 
And I think where the movie excels is in that nuance of, of characters sort of coming together and enjoying the road trip for the passion they have for Star Wars. I'm saying the word passion a lot, but it really is about these characters and how this franchise has like brought them together and how and what they're going to do for each other because of it, right? So I right. Don't know, it, it works. I feel like all of us are very much the target audience because like both of us have said now, like this isn't just this isn't really about Star Wars. Yes, it's centered around this road trip to 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 go see the Phantom Menace, and there's a lot of Star Wars jokes in there. Yeah, right. But there's so much to be said about the geek community, right? And I see a lot of us in there, the four of us in there, because we also have our own respective passions. That you know, I've, I'm obviously a huge Star Wars fan. Gee, you're you you listed them all off, but I I feel like. It, the passion there that we that you just talked about is something that we can all really identify with and resonate with. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, Dave, this feels like a movie that we we ourselves could have. And in fact, I believe we have done this several times where we've gone out to go see some kind of band across country and we've just gotten in the car and we've gone. And we, you know, we make, we make stupid jokes. We make super references along the way. And on top of that, we've grown memories, not from just the concert that we've gone to see, but the experiences that we've had along the road, our trip to uh, Florida, for example, I remember the trip, but I mostly remember like pit stops and, you know, joking around with people in the car. And not to take a book, uh, page out of Tolkien's book, but this is a movie that's, it's not about the end game. It's about how you get there. The journey versus the destination. Exactly. And it's just a really heartfelt story about a group of friends reconnecting. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that the older I've gotten, cause this, this is a movie that came out in 2009. So, I'm in college at this point. Not, you know, not, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. I'm not an adult yet. (laughs) I saw an opportunity to throw in Brittany. (laughs) But, you know, in 2009, I didn't understand, you know, the implications that adulthood might have on the relationships I've had throughout my life. And certainly college threw in some challenges, but it was still easy, easier to keep in touch with, you know, your friends from high school and whatnot, but then adulthood hits and there might not necessarily just be a, I guess what this movie articulates is a separation of, of maturity and responsibilities and stuff like that. But also, you know, I think about when I left college, when I graduated, I moved somewhere where nobody else was. And it was, I I grew apart from a lot of people and the more I've watched that this movie since then, the more that I really look at that and like that, that, that piece of this movie really strikes a chord. I like that. It really tells you, you know, you can still be an adult and nerd out with your friends. You, you can, you can wear a different hat 
sometimes you don't always have to be wearing this you know buttoned up suit professional dude because who you are on the inside is what really matters anyway that helped me a lot and recognizing that really helped me a lot on my own personal journey to let that nerd flag fly and not try to hide that in a in as an adult if that makes sense well that you got me there (gasps) she can't steal the show (laughs) (laughs) time 803 p.m it's only taken us 18 episodes but rebecca is speechless (laughs) captain's log (laughs) all right so i'm not sure i have much to contribute after that and i've I've never seen this movie until recently, and I kick myself constantly for not ever watching it, let alone hearing about it. First of all, I love Dan Fogler. I loved him in the very short-lived ABC series Man Up, which pretty much is fanboys, just with suits, jobs, and actual love lives. I personally think he was the best thing in The Fantastic Beast, and I'm told he's in Walking Dead, which I personally do not watch nor follow, but my mother does. (laughs) And, uh... Secondly, this is a good and wonderfully thought out story. Four guys on a road trip of their lifetimes just to give their dying friend one last awesome memory before his time is up. One of the writers, Ernest Klein, based his movie over the terrible loss of his mother to cancer. And and then when he heard about uh, The Phantom Menace coming out, it was like a light at the end of the tunnel for him. So he imagined himself in his mother's position, what lengths he would go to see this episode one with the lack amount of time he was given on earth and i thought this film was a lovely tribute to his mother and i absolutely love the cameos with carrie fisher as the doctor telling linus to take the bottle pills every three hours and then he kisses her and says i love you and fisher responds i know yes (laughs) i had me reeling for a while the other is when William Shatner made his cameo, of course, giving out certain items to break into Skywalker Ranch because apparently he can. And a novel that's written by him for some for something along for the ride. And then there's Jay and Silent Bob doing God knows what in that public restroom. This film was ridiculously fun and funny, and I loved every second of it. And I And here comes the similarity where you were talking about, Dave. I really love the fact that these guys are borderline in and out of reality. At least that's what it looks like from an outsider's point of view. Like like from Eric's Eric's point of view, his father's and several other characters' point of view, that these nerds are not living in the real world because one still lives with his mother in the garage. Sorry, carriage house. They're all obviously virgins with online girlfriends, and they all still work at a, at a comic shop. From the world's point point of view, it seems that neither of these guys ever grew up nor had a taste of what the real world is like, but that's not true. I think the truth is all of these guys have been living in the real world their whole lives, and they weren't using Star Wars as an escape. They use it as their armor, their lifestyle, as badges of honor. They were... They were even hesitant of going along with the plan to break into uh, Lucas's mansion or something in the first place, especially after planning on doing it since they were in fifth grade, because they're older men now and the stakes are much higher. And 
It was Eric, the one who quote-unquote grew up, suggested the plan to not only make amends with his friend Linus, but also to remember who he truly is and what he really loves doing, which is drawing comics. And I can actually kind of relate to Eric and the most in this film because I've been through similar situations where I had to put my dreams and friends aside to help my family for a while and you begin to feel a, a bit out of place again. I think this trip was more about Eric's life than it was about Linus and, and I think it saved his life in a way that this was like a soul searching trip for him and I and I thought the campfire scene was so beautifully well shot and said it literally showed Linus was finishing his quest as Eric was beginning his new quest. But the Phantom Menace still sucked, though. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that has so much heart, and then it was like all the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt like it was directed at somebody. Yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did... At the at the very last line at the end of the movie was like, guys, what if this movie sucks? Yeah. And then the end credits comes. <laughs> I gotta say, was was perfect timing because during that time, Phantom Menace still had a lot of hate around it. So yeah. it was a perfect line. What if it sucks? I mean, they played up on that a lot. I mean, you had Roach that had an entire mural on his back with <laughs> With with Jar Jar and Anakin, he's like, this this is this guy's gonna be the best. <laughs> yeah. How many how many roles did Seth Rogen play in that movie? Three. Three. He played three. <laughs> he was Rogue that guy, Trek guy, yeah. and he played uh, an alien. Yeah, I forgot. Like the he alien. played yeah. like he was. I was gonna say gatekeeping, but I, gee, I guess that's your job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't hire him yeah, for the movie. I don't know. He was kind of the bouncer for the he, Trek convention. Yeah, he yeah. was like the dog-looking alien from Trek. You know that one we all know. So since we're talking about it, I I wanted to. It, it seems like a good transition into talking about what were some of y'all's favorite cameos because, like, like we've talked about, this movie is not short on cameos. So what were some of your favorites? I mean, the William Shatner is probably uh, my favorite just because uh, I'm such a Trek fan, but Kirk loving Spock sucker. Yeah. I'm a Kirk loving Spock sucker. Um, (laughs) To be fair, the Kevin Smith uh, cameo (laughs) was (laughs) as brief as it was. The role reversal. Between yeah. James and Bob. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> <The> few moments. <laughs> With him and Jason Muse. And the donkey guy from Clerks 2. Oh, yeah. I Yeah. Oh, gosh. I knew. See, it's been so long since I've seen Clerks or this movie. Oh, yeah. He was in there, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Ethan Suplay? No. No. This, this was at the same bathroom. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The the Kevin Smith Jason Mewes cameo was, was is probably more objectively my favorite, but the William Shatner is is more uh, <laughs> well. It's William Shatner; he can score anything. Um, 
<laughs> including a role in a Star Wars movie. Hmm. I, I, I will give I will give an honorable mention to Ray Park in this movie. I thought that was a clever one too. It took me until this watch to actually see him and recognize him. Really? I, I would yeah. have expected you to have picked up right on that. I don't know why. It was just always one that flew under the radar. And the thing is, like, they make it so explicit because he's one of the Lucasfilm security guards, one of the THX Lucasfilm <laughs> yeah. security guards. Um, he's the only one that really talks uh, when they're battling. And he says, time for you to get mauled, boy. <laughs> and he pulled out two nightsticks. <laughs> See, I thought I thought the flip was a dead giveaway that it was Maul. Now, see, if they were connected and he had the same stance, I would have recognized it instantly. Yeah, i i had I had to look that up and see who that was, and I thought, oh, oh, that's Ray Park. Oh, so my favorite one. I kind of have to. I'm really sad it's not the actual actor. Or the actual guy, but I love the Harry Knowles scene, and he he was played by um, Ethan. What's his last name? Supley. Sup yeah, Supley. And for those of you who don't know, he is like the fat um, guy who's looking at the picture, trying to see what the picture is in Mallrats. Like he's in a lot of Kevin Smith movies. He also it's grew a up schooner. Schooner, yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, he also was in. I think his first big role was in Boy Meets World, but I love the Harry Knowles scene so much. Just, if ever you, what do you, emails my niece again, I'll hunt you down like a T-1000. <laughs> Dude, quick, quick note on Ethan. He is jacked now. Oh, yeah, he's buff. Yeah. I, I would not recognize him. I did I not recognize him. <laughs> point out uh, I'm Jer, I'm glad you enjoyed the Harry Knowles scene too. I, I had been... Uh, on the Ain't It Cool news train since 1997. So when I saw that scene, you know, parodying him, I I couldn't. It was just such an obscure reference. I thought I was the only person in the theater who got it. No, I, I, <laughs> you and I saw this together, and we both went, "No, yeah." yeah. <laughs> For a split second, I actually thought it was Harry Knowles, but then you know, yeah, yeah. So. I'm convinced that Mark Hamill also had a cameo in this, but only a voice cameo. Uncredited. Really? I'm convinced. When they're driving off and and Dan Fogler grabs the mic and says, wakey, wakey, hands off, sneaky. That, I swear, that, that sounds exactly like Mark Hamill's voice. Mark Hamill Joker voice. Oh, it could be. I don't know, maybe. I cheated a little and I watched the deleted scenes and the scene where they're being questioned after breaking into the ranch, they're being questioned by none other than Adam West. <laughs> I personally think they should have kept that scene in because it's hilarious. He's 100% serious throughout the whole scene, which makes it even funnier. And I love his line. I only work for one George Lucas and he tells me what the hell to believe. And you hear windows whispering, the hell does that mean? <laughs> although, although it is, <laughs> it is a much shorter scene than the one they're being quizzed on. So I guess they wanted to prolong the interrogation scene as best they could. But I, I don't see why they couldn't have Adam West do a much longer scene. I, I don't know. 
I, I love that scene with him, but I my favorite one is still probably William Shatner and Carrie Fisher. Seeing Carrie always it like really gets me now. I know. Like every time I see her on the screen, it tugs on the heartstrings a bit. That scene hits different. Yeah. Now now that now that she's passed, it really does hit different. Like I love her little when when she asks what's so important in Star Wars. You can see like the what? <laughs> like you can see that she's definitely accepted her role as Leia, but like this that was the look of I can't believe this is becoming as popular as it has been. Like she she's it looks like she's talking to a bunch of nerds. It's great. I love it. That that scene just really tugs on the heartstrings so much for me because think about le- the t- time leading up to the Phantom Menace. Like we didn't think we'd ever get Star Wars again, and I'm sure Carrie and crew also never expected like this to be a series that is still going on. And oh God, wow. <laughs> anyway, I'm not gonna here to geek out about Star Wars, <laughs> but I could. <laughs> Are you okay, Dave? I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Springboarding off of Dave's passion here, I tend to look at this movie as sort of the spiritual, uh, not successor, but sort of the spiritual companion piece to Galaxy Quest in in some ways. I, I, I see a lot of similarities in the fact, in the idea that both movies celebrate fans or or you know, fanboys rather. (laughs) I'm really glad you brought this up because that was actually something I was thinking about. Like if galaxy quest had a sequel centered around Brandon, Justin Long's character Mm -hmm. and Justin Long's friends, I feel like that would be fanboys. Right. And, and I felt like there, there there's just a lot of themes in both movies that complement each other. Uh, they're, They're both very different movies. And I'm, I'm going to be blunt. I think Galaxy Quest is probably a better put together and more tonally consistent film. But uh, I, I do think they both kind of hit similar emotional beats in terms of the celebration of, of fandom, essentially. And, you know, we sit here on this podcast rattling off how much we love these movies and whatnot. And all I can think of is wow, we're movie material now because they're making movies of, of <laughs> how people are obsessed <laughs> right. with this stuff, right? And <laughs> in that wild? Isn't that crazy? Uh, so, and, and ultimately parodying us as well. So <laughs> I feel, uh, on the one hand, I, I, I feel a, a sort of warmth from both of these movies and how they treat the concept of being a fan of... Again, not just Star Trek or Star Wars, but any franchise that has that has brought people together. And yet at the same time, I think it's hilarious that we are bonkers enough of a subculture that we're this easy to parody and make comedies out of. <laughs> All four of us are stupid and insipid and insane enough to make a goofy comedy out of (laughs) and our love for these goofy stories these 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 dumb movies is is now material made into passion plays And, and it just kind of blows my mind that that money has been put into making films celebrating us (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't get over it sometimes. Should, we should be paid royalties, really, when you think about right, it. Right, right. Oh, it's a good point. It's good. I, I'm sure everybody over at Paramount Lucasfilm is listening to the Drift Space right now. <laughs> saying, oh, yeah, we do owe them a big check. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know those guys nobody's heard of <laughs> that's what they're saying thanks for buying our merchandise nerds <laughs> actually paramount would probably will probably sue us just for mentioning star trek <laughs> <laughs> can we can we talk about that statue of kirk and Khan? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> And they couldn't. They couldn't use their likeness because they didn't want to be sued. Is that the- <laughs> I, lo- I love. Uh, and here you see Kirk battling with his arch nemesis, Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, after they crash into the st- statue, uh, that one trekkie leader holds up the face of. Of Ricardo Montalban and screams out Khan and then takes a break and inhaler and pull, pulls out his inhaler then finishes up Khan <laughs> love letter to the fans right there yeah no exactly this is what I'm talking about we're such a goofy subculture that <laughs> this is you know this is we 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 cry and yell out dramatically when our when our our things our beautiful things get you know demolished or (laughs) it's it's such a strange thing to watch on screen to watch these different characters with admittedly wildly different personalities who all love the same thing go on this adventure together and i'm sitting here thinking well this is just me and rebecca and jr and dave i mean what 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 am i doing here watching this i live this half the time (laughs) (laughs) it's like yeah <laughs> it's like it's, it's kind of weird you say different personalities but if you look at if you look at us from the outside you'd see an artist two uh track athletes and a nerd and you wouldn't think like we work together but it's the passion that brings us together the passion for silly satire stuff like this that we just absolutely eat up and it's wonderful did you hear that, Dave? We're we're the uh, we're the stoic jocks of our group. Yeah, bro. I, I love how you, Jr. I love how you refer to yourself. You refer to Dave and G as uh, the athletes, me the artist, and you just the nerd. Like you know. Well, don't I mean, do what else do I got? I'm, I'm really not that. Like, I wouldn't say I'm athletic or talented as you are. So well, I would classify myself as the nerd. Well, I don't. I think you're talented. I'm the windows of the group. I would think you're the Dan Fogler of the group, but that's that's no, actually that's that's, that's who I feel like I am too. <laughs> you're the Dan Fogler. I love his I love his line at the beginning of the movie. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around it here, and he just breaks into a smile and he goes, "Come give Daddy a hug." <laughs> I also want to let everyone who's listening know that JR also has a spectacular, voluptuous body. So we can. <laughs> we have the artist, the two track athletes, 
and the voluptuous. That's who we have. <laughs> it's a carriage house. The I love when he, al- almost lo- when he rips off, almost rips off the uh, side mirror. It's a carriage bites house. It. <laughs> it bites the side mirror. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, like going into this movie just blind, I related so much to Hutch. He is my spirit animal. Just the way he screams and just runs randomly, and then while they're trying to escape from the hospital, he just randomly picks up Zoe, runs out of the hospital, which... (laughs) Or, like, when he tries to teach the kids how to lightsaber battle, and they all just start hitting him. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) I read an old article, like, I think it was in 2018 or something, uh, or, no, it was actually the beginning of this year, 2020. <laughs> or the writer, one of the writers, uh, Adam F. Goldberg, was thinking about doing a Fanboys 2, where they steal the Justice League Snyder Cut version. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Things I didn't know I needed until now. <laughs> that would have aged poorly, given what we know now. Yeah, I, I remember thinking, that. Uh, the whole group would have probably aged a bit since... Star Wars Episode One, and while there are a lot of movies that subject around midlife crisis, I don't think any of them are middle-aged Star Wars fans, are they? Uh, that's another thing. Goldberg talks about uh, the group stealing Justice League, something that's not Star Wars related, and I thought these guys were purely Star Wars fans. Can you recall at all watching the movie, having them mention anything else other than anything else outside of star wars because i can't what uh hutch picks up the statue from indy and then he also he also pulls the dagger and he's like oh we have bad dates um also willow yeah willow willow his spell book oh oh okay okay all right i i must have missed that and the fact that they have like multiple jokes about multiple franchises just tells me that there's they have more love than just Star Wars. Yeah, and and I love Star Trek more than I love Star Wars, but I love every insult and comeback they came up with to degrade Star Trek. It was <laughs> <laughs> I welcomed it. It was so <laughs> It was all in good taste. I, I enjoyed the fun. Yeah. <laughs> I I thought it was really awesome too, like the way that they are able to like the linchpin of their plan. <laughs> yeah. This big Star Wars plan is the Star Trek man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> William Shatner himself is the linchpin in the Star Wars plan. <laughs> they, they say that Galaxy Quest is finally a good Star Trek movie. I wonder if Fanboys is finally a good Star Wars movie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not muted. I'm just not laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I knew I crossed the line there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you did. (laughs) No, she's not. All right. (laughs) Well, one thing I want to bring up is just because, you know, I've opened up about this. I have to to shout out this movie for being... I hate labeling it as a cancer movie, but they did it in a way where it's not shoved down your throat that most cancer movies are where it's like, I have cancer. 
we're going to talk about it for two hours. It's just kind of the, hey, let's give our friend one last hurrah, as opposed to, you know, a a bucket list of things to do before I die. Like a constant reminder. Because, let's be honest, halfway through the movie, and you're, you've forgotten Linus has cancer until he actually speaks up at the end and he gives off that awesome monologue. So I have to I have to shout out this movie for that because I I'm just sick of cancer movies being just over dramatic and without a heart. Yeah, just being too serious. So yeah, definitely. Uh, so I I appreciate this movie for the lighthearted approach it took to it. Yeah, it made it bigger. It really did. Instead of it being like I said, smack in your face, I have cancer. It made it more of what, I hate saying this too, but like funerals, you're not supposed to mourn the dead. You're supposed to celebrate their life. And this movie is what it feels like. He's he's out living. He's doing what he loves. It's celebrating his life with his friends instead of just being like, well, I got to do this before I die. I got to do this before I die. I got to do this before I die. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> So poorly pitched. Last week, Rebecca had it. And it was quite short. Here it is from last week, folks. A guy wants a girlfriend really badly, but he can't get one because he's ugly. Mask. Hunchback and Notre Dame. No, no. Yeah. Rocky Dennis. I just, just said, said mask. mask. <laughs> <laughs> Dave? Um, Nosferatu? (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) Rebecca should just give it to him after that. (laughs) The Phantom of the Opera. Oh! (laughs) I was close. I mean, Dave, yeah. yeah we, kind of, we kind of all were close. <laughs> Beating right around that bush. You all were kind of close. I, mean, I just... You can't argue. I mean, yeah, they were all ugly, but at the same time... Can we get half points? <laughs> do we do... I didn't even know we did points. <laughs> Welcome to the gist space where everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> you know, we should go back and, like, tally up who has the most, like correct guesses on this. Thanks for volunteering. (laughs) (laughs) This has been another example of backing yourself into a corner. (laughs) Alright, so who's got one for this week? I've got one. Okay. This is a movie about dealing with the past. A woman deals with a bad breakup with Captain America and Superman and meets a young man who's dealing with his own breakup with Captain Marvel. Poorly pitched. That was a very enthusiastic <laughs> poorly pitched. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's I had to word it very specifically. So I had okay. to think about it. All right. Poorly yeah. pitched, everyone. Poorly pitched. Okay. <laughs> a pretty good poor pitch there. <laughs> 
Old Dry Bowser's making appearance on the drift space. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that transitions us into the fanboy and fangirl, Fan Rebecca, the Warner sister. <laughs> Fifty. Rebecca, you're always so eager, so why don't you get us kicked off here? We're, we're all about being PC here in the drift space. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one. So I mentioned earlier that Dan Fogler was part of a short-lived sitcom series called Man Up. Normally I would describe in my own words what it shows about, but I can't do justice to what the synopsis actually says. So I'm going to read, read you what Man Up is about. Will's father and grandfather fought in the Vietnam War and World War II, respectively. Will plays video games but about fighting in wars. He, his sensitive nature won him his wife, but also means he, he's more interested in picking the perfect gift for his son than doing a sales job. Craig still longs for his college girlfriend. Kenny doesn't let himself get angry, but asks himself, what would Toby McGuire do? Together, these three men l- try to try to tried to get in touch with their more traditionally masculine nature and redefine the meaning of being a real man. Done. Time. (laughs) (laughs) You finished early. That means you can have an extra three seconds next week. (laughs) Or next time. Really? (laughs) What would fanboy 53? (laughs) I love that. What would Spider-Man do? What would Tobey Maguire do? <laughs> That's what I just said, Rebecca. Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, Man Up is actually on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, you probably have to purchase it, but it is it has like 13 episodes. Uh, same amount as Firefly did. Uh, but it's... We're, we're not crying, no, you're crying. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. I'm taking your three seconds back because you kept going. (laughs) (laughs) And subtracting another 10. (laughs) For making me sad about Firefly. (laughs) Yeah, the Firefly penalty. (laughs) It'll be 100 years from now. It'll still be too soon to talk about Firefly. Or we could call it the Gosa penalty. I like that one. <laughs> oh my god. Who's next? <laughs> Going in order here. JR, let's hear it. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. In three, two, one. So in order Yeah. Thanksgiving was the last week as recording this. So I actually want to do my fanboy to say I wanna uh Thank Dave and Liv for opening their house to me and being able to spend time with them during Thanksgiving because that's something really rare I never get to do. I enjoyed seeing D- uh, G, who, guys, you are all like family. Reb, I wish you could have been there. It was awesome, super fun. And uh, why does uh, Doom Patrol only have t- nine episodes on season two? This really makes me mad. Uh, we got more. In season one, and I enjoy season one. So let's get more season two. I why stop at that major cliffhanger? It's stupid. I want more. What, what's the candle maker? He they don't explain it. They don't explain anything. Time. I'm good with that. <laughs> this has been a rant, boy. 50. <laughs> <laughs> All right, G, you got something for us? I do. Yeah. Runner, athlete, jock, to your mark. <laughs> Get set 
Go. All right. So I recently read that the Noah Hawley Star Trek movie, and Noah Hawley created uh, the TV show Legion, which is excellent. He he was slated to do the fourth Star Trek movie uh, for the Kelvin timeline. And Paramount is one of the reasons they're hesitant to pull the trigger on it is apparently because uh, it involves a virus that spreads throughout the galaxy and is killing a a sizable portion of the galaxy's populace and and the Enterprise or whatever crew has to find a way to stop it. And they're a little hesitant to give us a dose of real world with that. My argument is that Star Trek has always been, you know, doing current event stuff anyway, and it would be the perfect sci-fi. Time. Nah, there it goes. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it's relatable at all. No, no. 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 I, I, think, uh, no. I think there's a missed opportunity there. I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of zipped out. Why would people want something relatable <laughs> in this time of need that we need relatable stuff? I was thinking, I, I watched a episode of the original series where it involves this planet that had, you know, gone to war with each other because there was one uh, racial group that was black on one side but white on the other, and then the other was had had the two sides switched, and there was just hatred between each other, and this planet had killed each other off, had killed both groups off to the point where there were only, I think, two left. And it all came down to Kirk and crew saying, well, at least we didn't do that, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's relevant today, but it was certainly relevant in the 1960s. And I'm thinking to myself, Star Trek is always about covering what's going on now. You know, it, it's always about the current events, and it's always about finding optimism in current events. And I just don't think <laughs> Paramount's fear of pulling the trigger on this is very well thought out. Maybe that's just me. So GJ forfeits his next three fanboy 50s. <laughs> yes. I, 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 you can skip me the next three episodes. <laughs> I did. Or I you to. have to do all of ours. <laughs> <laughs> you take away my three seconds. Thanks. I, I, I tell you what I'm excited about and you have to. <laughs> and then I have to gush about it. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm excited about Attack of the Clones, G. <laughs> I'm so excited that they're doing Attack of the Clones remaster. Hoorah. Hoorah. <laughs> I'm excited about Clone Wars all seven seasons. You should be. All right, <laughs> all right Dave, I got you. Yeah. Mark, set, go. Thanksgiving was dope. Got to see awesome folks, except Rebecca wasn't there, so that made my heart sad a little bit. Got to hang out with G and JR, which was awesome. And one of Liv's friends was, was also in town. We got to go hiking. Got a little outdoor time on Thanksgiving Day, which was awesome. I like outdoor things. <laughs> the... <laughs> <laughs> the big thing that I'm excited about is that apparently HBO Max is going to be releasing all of their 2021 films on both HBO Max, or sorry, Warner Brothers is going to be releasing all of their films on HBO Max and in theaters, but 
It's only going to be on HBO Prime. Max for like the first month. Shut up! Unlock <laughs> <laughs> <lock> outdoors. Unlock <laughs> Dave, about the HBO Max thing, what do you think of it in terms of success? Because you know, it used to be it used to be rule of thumb: you make two point five times your budget, and you're generally considered a success by by the studio. Um, and then whatever else is accrued by deals made with uh, on demand uh, cable and of course uh, home video. Now we have fewer theaters and a deal to put these films on streaming, massive films on streaming. It's very unprecedented. What I, I don't know what the model is for this. Do you have any ideas what we're looking at in terms of success? Oh, I have no idea in terms of success. I'm just one of the big reasons I'm excited is because I already have HBO Max. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so that means I, I, without even having to do anything different, I get Wonder Woman 1984. Tom and Jerry, Godzilla versus Kong, the new Conjuring movie, Space Jam, a new legacy, the new Suicide Squad movie, Dune, The Matrix 4, Sherlock Holmes 3, and the new Mortal Kombat as well. I get all that without having to do anything or pay anything else. Okay. Everybody at Dave. But having said that, to me, this seems like a big move to get more people to subscribe to HBO Max. And because they're getting rid of their free trials as well. Yeah. So people can't people can't just get the free trials so they can go out and watch the new Wonder Woman 1984. So you're going to see a big influx of subscriptions, which is going to contribute to Warner Brothers continued Warner Brothers success. So I think they recognize that the theatrical releases are not going to make as much money as they would have liked. Right. You're not going to make as much as you would because, you know, pandemic sucks. Right. So how do you supplement that, that, that flow? You, you got to get it somewhere else. So that's where streaming comes in. Okay. And if you get customers paying 15 bucks a month for HBO max, then you know that that's basically like a, a movie ticket every single month at least so i I, th- I think it's a pretty decent model given i mean it's not ideal but given the fact that there there aren't a whole lot of options right right what else are they supposed to do i mean not people just aren't going to theaters as much as they used to i'm still gonna try to go see a lot of these in theaters on as big a screen as i can because i'm a much like you guys, I'm a sucker for the theatrical experience. Like, I want to see Wonder Woman 1984 on the big screen. I definitely want to see Matrix 4 on the big screen. <laughs> Those are movies that deserve to be seen on the big screen. Amen to that. That that that's that's my thought. I mean, it's it's great that we're I'm going to be able to rewatch it at home, but I I still like that they are going to attempt to put it out in theaters. I don't know how success, what the long-term success of this will be, but we'll see. So when I first saw the article, part of me really just died. Uh, now that's, I mean, this is before I read the article and, you know, saw that everything was short-term based because once COVID 
is supposedly under wraps. Everything's going to go back to normal. But it it made me very sad just because movies were be, were meant to like pull you away and transport you into like a different area and it was supposed to you know be an escape from the mundane and while while seeing them on streaming services is awesome and i'm really happy about that that i'll be able to see them i kind of had this fear when streaming services started that we were seeing a decline in people going out and visiting movie theaters and my fear is that eventually we'll just be the people from wally in hovering chairs not looking at anything so i'm just a little disappointed that this has to be our reality for a while but much like you i'm gonna try to go out and see these movies and support the theaters as much as possible because that's the way you're supposed to be viewing these things so i just Given the nature of how things are right now, I'm a little weary about what's going on because I, I I think the future of movie viewing is leading to households now and movie theaters will be a thing of the past. That's just my two cents. See, when Warner Brothers says, oh, this is just a temporary model during the COVID era, I don't believe them. Uh, theaters, so many theaters have already filed for bankruptcy. They're going down the tubes. No one's going to see movies right now, largely because there aren't really any movies in theaters right now. And if this model proves to be successful, then everyone's going to jump on it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be as apocalyptic as to say, this is the end of the theater going experience as we know it. But the possibility does hang in the air. And that worries me. Now, I'm glad, you know, it's on streaming for those who are too scared to go to theaters. That's great. I'm glad they get to view these movies from uh, the safety of their home. But I do think this move is contributing to the death of the theater-going experience. And I am hesitant to believe Warner Brothers when they say this is a temporary thing. Preach it. This, this is also coming from... You know, two film critics that went to school for this stuff, so. Well, it's not only that. I mean, yeah, the, we understand that seeing a film in movie theaters, in cinemas, is the way that, you know, filmmakers intended their movies to be seen. Now, not everyone can appreciate that, and I get that, and they prefer to watch it from their home because they're worried about COVID and whatnot, but I don't know if Warner Brothers pushing ahead with this move instead of waiting it out is the right one. I know people are really getting sick of release dates being pushed further and further and further and further. We don't know when the end of this thing is, but I do know that pushing this model could contribute to the end of the cinema going experience. And that does bother me. And I hope that's not the case in the end. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent behind you. Mm. Boy, you guys are very optimistic. Yes. <laughs> well, that seems like a really good high note to end on. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys so much for sticking with us and talking about all of the geeky things and fanboys. I've been Dave, 
And if you want to know where else you can find me, you can check out this other podcast that me and my fiance do called Pizza and Parsecs, available on all the podcasting platforms. And you can check us out at pizzaandparsecs.com. And I'm G. You can find me on Twitter at Gman and Mysterioid. And you can check out my new substack called Deferential Wrath of a Rusting Markalite Cannon at markalite.substack.com, where I continue to have the only right opinions about the kaiju genre. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I understood like 15% of those words. <laughs> and that's being generous. I'm just sitting here going, I wonder how Henry and uh, Nate and all these other guys feel about this. <laughs> they know. And I'm JR. If you like me ranting about. Being a nerd, you can find me on Instagram at Little Man Cosplay, where I do nerdy things. I make nerdy cosplays. And I'm also on Twitter, Little Man underscore says one, where I just rant about mostly Spider-Man and Power Rangers. And I'm Rebecca. If you'd like to check out some of my artwork, you can find me on the Linktree app, linktr.ee slash reb.hudge. And we are... The Drift Space. And you can check out our show at bit.ly backslash TS links. And there you can be redirected to all of your favorite podcatchers. If you dug this episode, if you had a good time with us, make sure you share it with some friends. Repost, retweet, get the word out, folks. We're a small pod. Word of mouth is a great way to spread the love. And then all of you can come give us a holler on our socials at The Drift Space. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much once again for joining us today and for listening. Remember, always stay strapped. Kirk loving Spock sucker. <laughs> <laughs>